So, brothers and sisters, each time we gather to worship God, whether morning or evening, it's no surprise, we include in our worship uh, this thing called prayer. And uh, I put it that way on purpose, this thing, because uh, we, we do need to back up and ask ourselves the question, what is this thing called prayer and why do we do it? Uh, we do it so regularly, it would seem to me, uh, prayer is so customary in our worship of God that uh, perhaps it becomes uh, more of a thing. Uh, it becomes the thing that we do in worship that is perhaps most taken for granted. It's often susceptible to the error of just going through the motions. So that prayer is a good example of the need for this sermon series. We need to stop and think and and having thought about uh, uh, and, and, and think, stop and think according to God's word. Uh, we need to keep doing what we are already doing, but we need to do it, as we have said uh, a number of times before already, we need to do it more on purpose. Uh, we need to do it far more as a deliberate action. Stop and think. That's, uh, that's not the popular wisdom of our culture. Uh, instead, we uh, have one sports apparel company that tells us to just do it. Um, and that's really quite a genius advertising tagline because uh, that's the wisdom of our day. Don't think, just do. Even worse is the adage, uh, if it feels good, do it. The irony is that at the same time, amid an anti-thinking culture, the, uh, the Christian faith is often charged with being illogical. Uh, the world says that if you are a Christian, a believer in Christ, uh, you, then you must have put your brain on the shelf. Um, but Christians are actually those who use their brains, those who think about the reality of life and death in this world, and who think according to God's word. And that's where the charge of illogic comes from, uh, from those who would reject God's word. Those who, on one hand, don't want to have to think all that much at all, but uh, to, to just feel. On the, on the other hand, um, those who don't um, uh, want to think according to the mind of their creator. Uh, this is what the Apostle John was teaching when he wrote of Jesus that he is the logos, the, the word of God, the Greek word there that John uses uh, in the opening of his gospel is a word that captures the sense of, of logic. Um, even in English, we can hear the, the connection, uh, logos and logic. Um, what John is saying, what he is teaching, is that if you want to make sense of this world, uh, if you want to understand reality itself, really, uh, if you want to think logically, then you must know Christ and you must know the gospel. So the point of this sermon series is, uh, is to have a stop and think, and yes, to think according to God's word, more specifically, to stop and think about the way we worship God. Why do we pray in our worship of God? That might sound like an unnecessary question. 
what do you mean? Why do we pray? It's, it's just what we do. Uh, can there be anything more basic and obvious to faith and religion than prayer? But we need more than custom and tradition. And uh, when we do stop and think about it, we, we can come to a, a much more profound, truly profound understanding of what is happening as we pray within the worship service. So looking at Revelation 8, verses 1 through 5, the first point is heaven is listening. Verse 1 says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Here is one of those uh, teachings of the book of Revelation that makes us want to say, wait, what? Um, Why is there silence in heaven and why for half an hour? Uh, My read on this is that it tells us that heaven is listening because this passage goes on to speak of the prayers of the saints. Verse 3 reads, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The point of the silence in heaven is that the prayers of the saints might be heard. Heaven is listening. There are a number of things that need to be heard and clarified, as there always are in the book of Revelation. Uh, First, we ought to take note of how noisy a place in heaven, uh, how noisy a place heaven is. Uh, That might be the wrong word, noisy, because uh, the point is not that heaven is just filled with noise, uh, a general cacophony of, of noise. The point instead is that heaven is filled with a symphony of praise to God. We see this throughout Scripture. I would uh, point out Isaiah 6, very well-known passage where the prophet uh, is given a vision of heaven and it says there that the angels in heaven surround the throne of God and that one calls to the other, never ceasing to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We see throughout the book of Revelation as the apostle John records the the visions that uh, were given to him that heaven is the place filled with the worship of God. And that, and that such worship is filled with, with the praise of God and, and that as the saints on earth die and, and are added to that number, so they are there to contribute their voices to the one voice and to the noise, as it were, of heaven. Not a, not a cacophony, not a confusion of sounds and, and, and songs, but a symphony of praise to God made up of the voices of both angels and men. It's something to look forward to by our faith in Christ. Uh, As much as we appreciate the music of earth, yet the music of heaven is even an eternal symphony of praise to God. But this is exactly the point of hearing in in Revelation 8, verse 1, that there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And why half an hour? We need to be careful with the the time references in the book of Revelation, whether the reference 
is to half an hour or to a thousand years. Um, but here I think we can surmise that that half an hour is perhaps the time that the church spends in prayer to God each Lord's Day. Again, I'm, I'm not intending to make this a hard and fast rule. That's not the point. But it's a huge point to know that heaven falls silent when the church on earth prays. Heaven is listening for the prayers of the saints. And the prayers of the saints rise to heaven as incense. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert in Roman Catholic doctrine, but I would imagine that here is a passage by which uh, Rome justifies its use of incense in their worship of God. Smells and bells, as the saying goes, which is a rather pejorative way to put it, uh, to criticize Rome's attempt at worshiping God. But, but it does capture the problem that here is not a rule for how we are to worship God with incense, but rather here is the reassurance that when the church prays, heaven stops and listens. And that when the church prays, her prayers rise to heaven as incense. The prayers of the saints are a pleasant aroma in the nostrils of heaven, we might say. But therein lies another need uh, for clarification, that oftentimes when we speak of heaven, what we really mean is God Himself. And this passage, perhaps, shows us that it's not inappropriate to speak this way. Uh, People say, God only knows, but they also say, heaven only knows, uh, basically meaning the same thing. Or they speak of uh, of blessings from heaven. Um, uh, but they don't mean, of course, that heaven itself is, is, is some power and, and source of their blessings, but that God sends His blessings from heaven. So, on one hand, we need to be careful not to turn heaven into a, uh, an impersonal God of sorts. On the other hand, we need to see that, that heaven and, and all who are there are in such complete and glorious agreement that even Scripture itself speaks of heaven knowing and blessings coming from heaven and even of heaven listening. A related passage, I think, is 1 Peter 1, verse 12, where the apostle refers to things into which Angels long to look. God's Word gives us uh, an understanding of heaven as not only the place of God's dwelling, but also the place of the angels. And since angels are not God, they are not all-knowing. And they are thus figuring it out almost as much as we are. They are watching the events on earth. They are seeing the the unfolding, the working out of the history of redemption. And they are asking, much as we are asking, how is this thing going to end? This great corruption, this, this horrible rebellion on earth. 
And the angels are so offended by the actions of sinful man that they long to know how is it that, that God does not immediately pour out judgment upon the earth. But the angels also know what we know by the word of God. They know that God has his purpose and that the end is in sight and that there is no doubt as to God's sovereign design and purpose in all things. The angels just don't know, like us, what will transpire between now and eternity. And so they are watching, and they are wondering, and they are waiting. So yes, to say that heaven is listening is to say that God himself is listening. To speak of the blessings of heaven is to speak of God's own blessings. No one else in heaven, neither angels nor saints, can bless us except for God. But heaven is so perfectly united, saints and angels united to the will of God that we can rightly speak of heaven listening. Not only is God listening when the church on earth prays, but heaven itself falls silent when the church prays. All of heaven hears when the church prays. And we need to have this in mind as we pray. It applies to really to each of us in our personal prayers. It applies to covenant families as they pray, uh, parents and children together. But it applies perhaps never more so than when the church gathers each Lord's Day to worship our resurrected King and Savior and to pray. Second, let's say more about this prayer as incense. Why is prayer, as we have said, why is prayer connected with incense? I think there's both a positive and a negative reason. First, the negative reason. It's it's negative in the sense that the prayers of the church are the opposite of what is normally heard and seen by the angels in heaven. As the angels of heaven listen, and and as they look, what do they see but the rebellion of earth? And of course, the angels get it. They, They are able to see what we so often overlook. They see what we often don't, that God is a good God, that He created the world for, for mankind's blessing, that, that He showered His creatures with blessing, and, and He continues to shower them with blessing each and every day. And yet there is this, this gross, horrible ingratitude and rebellion upon the earth. So prayer, by comparison, becomes incense. Prayer becomes something remarkably different than the stench that normally rises from earth to heaven. Imagine living next to a a garbage dump, uh, a landfill, and uh, maybe you live to the east of the landfill so that the, the prevailing westerly winds are are uh, constantly blowing the smell of the landfill past your house and even into your house. But every once in a while, the wind shifts, and it begins to blow out of the east. 
from the east. The, the wind brings you the, the smell of the earth and the grass, the smell of the fields and the, and the meadows. Uh, the difference is the difference between weekdays and the Lord's Day. On weekdays, the, 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 the smell rising from earth to heaven is the smell of, of well, of garbage. But on the Lord's Day, the, the prayers of the saints rise as incense to heaven. The angels get relief for a day from the stench as they are given to hear that the church on earth is praying. The church on earth is acknowledging God according to His Word rather than the, the stinking denial of His very existence. On the Lord's Day, the church on earth gives thanks to God rather than the stinking claim of His property as their own. On the Lord's Day, the church on earth seeks grace and blessing from God rather than the stinking rebellion against God. So positively, when the church prays, the church offers to God that which is due to Him, that which the angels give Him every day. When the church worships, the wrong is righted, at least for a moment, at least for a day. The earth has become a garbage dump, the stench of sin rising every day to the angels' great consternation, even to their great anger. It's no surprise, I think, that the book of Revelation uh, speaks of, of the angels of God carrying out His judgment in the end, because it's the angels who have to live each day faced with the stench of sinners on earth. And given the chance, being issued the command, they're more than willing to fly into this world and to remove all sin from the world that they have spent thousands of years having to smell. Another illustration is the, the scene of a, of a child who is given a blessing and yet who scowls and refuses uh, to say thank you when, when prompted. Somehow we all recognize that sin, and, and it's almost as if we can bear it even less than the murder and mayhem that we see on the news. But, but when a child, that, that innocent child, as uh, his mother counts him an angel, uh, when that child is called upon to give thanks for a blessing, we see a, a sin that goes as deep as really any sin parent is mortified. The, the gift giver smiles nervously and waits for the thank you that never comes. But nobody, it would seem, thinks to take the gift away as, as punishment for the child's uh, bratish ingratitude. Oh, maybe it happens on occasion that the child loses the gift as punishment, but, but otherwise we, we make excuses for the child uh, for the child's ingratitude, uh, we, we can't bring ourselves to see the child deprived of his or her blessing. But for the angels in heaven, uh, those who are depraved will be deprived. And they will make sure of it in the end. 
the holy angels in heaven have no problem righting the wrong. They are waiting and they are ready to carry out the judgment of God in the end that the honor of God might be restored. And that really is the issue for the angels of heaven, and it should be for us, that the honor of God should be restored. And if it would seem that that illustration is too extreme, then, uh, then just consider uh, what uh, Psalm 50 says. It's a psalm we go back to so often, but God gives us very simple instruction for, uh, for how we are to worship Him. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Just say thank you is all that God wants. For crying out loud, (laughs) Uh, is that too much to ask? God gives us everything, the earth, the, the, the ground we stand on, the air that we breathe, the, the plants and animals that we eat. He, he gives us a, a body and a soul, uh, uh, life to live within His good creation. Just say thank you. Psalm 116 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. Just say thank you. Well, I guess there is one more thing. Say thank you and, okay, here's the catch. He he wants us to thank Him and to ask Him for the things that we need. It's, It's going to come from Him one way or the other because only in Him do we live and move and have our being. Uh, only uh, from Him, uh, only He is the Father of the heavenly, light, heavenly lights, down from whom comes every, every good and perfect gift. But by asking for it, before it comes, we are honoring Him. We, we are acknowledging God simply by relating to Him as creatures, but even more as children, saved and, and adopted in Christ. We, we don't earn His blessing by asking for it. It just honors Him when we ask for what we need before we receive it. The prayers of the saints on earth rise as incense to heaven. The prayers of the saints fill heaven with the the pleasant aroma of a child who knows how to say thank you. Children who know that they are children. Creatures who know that they are but creatures. Just say thank you. Just seek from God that which you know you need, and it will rise as a pleasing aroma to God and to the angels in heaven. This is what our worship of God is, what it must be to fill heaven with the aroma of faith and worship and thanksgiving to God. But finally, judgment by prayer. Revelation 8, verse 4 says, And the smoke from the incense, with the prayers of the saints, rose before God from the hand of the angel. And verse 5 adds, Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, 
and an earthquake. The connection made here is that while the prayers of the saints rise as incense to heaven, so the prayers of the saints must include the call for God's judgment upon the earth. It's one thing to acknowledge the angels longing for God's judgment to come, but, but his dishonor, or that his dishonor, might be brought to uh, an end upon the earth. But the next thing is to join the angels in that longing to pray even for God's judgment to come. Why would we do that? It is, of course, what we often do in, in singing the Psalms. Uh, The Psalms give us songs to sing to God in which and by which we are calling for God to judge His enemies. And why would we do that? Because we love God. We desire His honor and His honor rather than His dishonor. And you've heard this before, that, that if you truly love God, it will be because you love Christ as your God. Let's not just say by some generic spirituality, oh, I just love God so much, I, I pine for God, he's, he's so loving and He's so lovable. No, in this is love, says the Apostle John, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To love God means to love Christ, because we cannot finally even know God except that we know Christ. And let us not claim to love Christ until we are in the the personal, intimate relationship with Christ into which He Himself calls us, as He calls us to follow Him as His disciples. But, But as we know God in knowing Christ and love God in loving Christ, it it must mean there there can be no other way that we long for the end of this of, of, of God's dishonor in this world. And that end, the end of his dishonor, will only come in one of two ways, either by the conversion of those who hate him, so that they come to love him too, or by his judgment upon them in the end. Psalm 139 says outright, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. It's, it's cringeworthy, isn't it, as we say? Um, how can we pray like this? Well, we can and we will. When we love Christ and desire His honor within a world that will not even just say thank you for the blessings of God that they enjoy every single day. It's an imperfect analogy, but if we... Uh, if we can, uh, if we want to make sense of this, then uh, all we have to do is to think of a wife's relationship to her husband, and it's a fitting analogy because God's word speaks of Christ as a husband to His people, a husband even to those 
uh, who he has laid down his life for, so that they would be his, his wife, in order to make her his wife. But what would be a wife's reaction when, when people wrongly, viciously dishonor her husband and even hate her because they hate her husband? Does, does she not hate those who hate her husband? Does she not count all as enemies who have made themselves enemies of her husband? The husband she seeks to honor exactly because he laid down his life for her. So do you see where we are? We have a husband in Christ. We love him while the world hates him. So what do we do? Do we say, well, I, I will not be so judgmental. Um, you know, they dishonor my Lord, but I guess I can live with that. No, we say, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. And switch it around if you want. Uh, what would a husband's response be to those who dishonor his wife? What if they even propositioned her for sexual favors? Will he not come to her side? Will he not stand by her and for her honor? This is the world we live in. Even more, this is our relationship, not only to Christ, but to the world of sin in which we live. And, and we acknowledge that except for God's sovereign, saving grace, we would be among those who hate Christ. And we do long for their conversion and pray for that as well. But as we have been brought to love Christ, so we will, if we love Christ, hate those who hate our husband, even as Christ hates those who hate us, because we are his bride. All of this, then, for the sake of our prayers in the worship service. Each Lord's Day, the church gathers and we pray. Tradition serves us well as we pray, just as countless generations have prayed in the past. But that's not enough. We must understand that heaven is listening. God himself is listening. Along with all those gathered in heaven, both the angels and the church triumphant, they are listening. Heaven falls silent when the church on earth prays. <clears throat> Just think of, uh, of being in a, in a noisy place. But then you hear something different. And you say, wait. Shh, be quiet. Listen. That's the scene in heaven. And when they hear in heaven, <clears throat> when they hear it in heaven, when the, when the, when the church prays, they listen. And it's, and it's joy upon their ears. It's a pleasing aroma arising from a stinking earth. And when we pray, we must give thanks to God. We, we must not be the, the little brat who will not say thank you. Because in one respect, that's all that God calls us to do. That's all that He has left us to do to say thank you, God. But we must also humble ourselves as creatures and seek from Him all that we need. This is how we honor God. This is how we worship Him. And finally, we must pray as our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. That, in essence, is itself a prayer for God's judgment upon the earth. We must seek the honor of God, the honor of Christ our husband, as we pray. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. May men of blood depart from us. They speak against you, the God whom we love. They speak against you with malice. Your enemies take your name in vain. We hear it every day. They say your name, but they don't mean it. And they cheapen your most holy name and dishonor you, the God whom we love. And so do we not hate those who hate you, O Christ? Do we not even loathe those who would rise up against you? We hate them with perfect hatred and we count them our enemies because they are your enemies. But, O Lord, we too are sinners. We act uh, as your enemies even when you have become our friend and our father. So as Psalm 139 goes on to say, O God, know our hearts, put us on trial, know even our thoughts. And as you find any grievous way in us, grant to us repentance and lead us in Christ onward to heaven. In his name we pray. Amen.